you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Today we'll be in verse 1 and 2. Matter of fact, we'll be in 2A of A, B, C, and D. Actually, we, we really are going to pause at the very beginning of chapter of verse 2 so that we can really build a foundation. We kind of did that last week, build a foundation of how we think about living worthy lives, what's the motivation for living worthy lives, and how do we view God's commands and live in light of that, and you know, kind of this legalism versus anti-law, and how do we, how do we think about, you know... Uh, when we think about following God's commands, how does that fit into our lives? And, uh, in a culture where we're so against law, like we, anything that feels legalistic, we just want to kind of run from. At the same time, it's interesting because we tend to live very legalistic lives. We just tend to redefine the law in a way that best fits us. It's really what we end up doing. Because uh, they both come from the lie that, that, that God is ultimately not gracious in revealing himself to us in his commands and ultimately showing its fulfillment of those commands in his son Jesus Christ. We don't believe God's hand to be gracious. We believe God to be withholding things from us. So from that foundation, now we're going to kind of build the next layer to that foundation upon which I think most everything else when it comes to following is, at least what we're going to talk about in this passage, most of which follows, and that is humility, humbleness, um, living without pride, or living uh, maybe more accurately, the living victoriously in the battle against pride, the ongoing battle against pride. And you know, I thought it very fitting, as it just it occurred to me, just as I was coming up, that the, 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 uh, the sermon I'm going to preach on humility coincides with uh, having lost my preaching voice for this morning, uh, and uh, hoping just to make it through, uh, my voice would last this morning. Um, so if I start yelling and some, nothing comes out, you know, uh, we, we, it might be a fun morning, but I want to read for you this passage, and we're just going to settle on a few words here and talk about it this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love. Let's stop there and pray. <clears throat> Father, as we study your word this morning, Father, I pray that just let, just let your words speak clear into our hearts. Father, even as we look at multiple passages this morning, that, that our hearts would, would, would fall in love with you, Father, who, who because you loved us, you loved us in our sin, even you sent your son Jesus to then die for us. Father, we would be humbled by that. It's in your son's name we pray. 
Amen. So Paul's talking about this living according to God's calling. And we've talked about this. I just want to rehash part of it that, that God's called us from death. God called us out of death. We were dead, dying. If you're familiar with the song uh, on uh, election by Shai Lin, we were, we were a swollen corpse at the bottom of the ocean floor. That God didn't just throw us a life raft for us to, to grab a hold of. No, he rescued us from the bottom. He, he called us out of death. The gospel came, we talked about how Paul is talking about this calling where we actually, the gospel heard and, and he brought about belief. Uh, the gospel was heard and then he brought about belief in our heart and our soul. And, and we talked about how, particularly last week, how God has called us to himself, to a life and a uniting of all things in Christ. And we talked last week about how the, the law and God's commands reveal the very God who makes them. And in those laws, it shows the very need for the Christ, for us, who fulfilled them. And so I want us to, one thing I, 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 I want to just kind of set our minds to, because the next few weeks are going to be concerning this very specific topic of the unity in the body. And we have to keep that in mind, because here's what's going to happen this morning. I'm really going to drive into a tree, okay? Not literally, like, run into a tree. But I'm going to drive in, and we're going to focus on a tree. And if we're not careful, I, I admittedly, here, we're going to lose the forest, okay? The forest is the uniting of all things in Christ. And, and then a little bit smaller into there, we're talking about the unity of the body as everything's being united in Christ. The body's being united together in Christ, and then in, if you drive in just a little bit tighter, down to just one little tree, one very big tree rather, that's very important, and that is humility. And that's where we're just going to focus. But if we're not careful, we're going to lose the unity of the body, the bigger part of the force, and then the ultimately the big force, and that is uniting all things in Christ. So we cannot lose sight of that, of uniting the body, of unity in the body of Christ as we think about some very specific ways in which we are to live in a manner worthy of this calling. If all of God's providential work is to the end, that everything be united in Christ, then at the very least, His church needs to be unified. Now, I don't know your guys' church backgrounds, but man, if churches... If anything, a lot of times they're anything but unified. Everyone's got their own thing, their own direction, their own idea of what it looks like to live for Christ. And, you know, I've had my own share of experiences in churches where there's anything but unity. I mean, you might have the unity of this small group of people here and the unity of this small group of people here. And, and finally, once their own desires collide, then you have this disaster. And it's a sad thing. But today we're simply going to consider the phrase with all humility in the context of unity in the body of Christ. Certainly all humility has application in your marriage, has application in your parenting, has application in your workplace, has application everywhere. But today particularly we want to be thinking about humility in its context and how it works itself out in the body of Christ. 
Now, like in Paul's day, there really is no word for humility in our modern vocabulary. Now, now literally in Paul's day, there was not a word for this. They, it actually comes later, and, or Paul actually kind of works through this phrase and kind of using a different word to, to communicate a, this idea of humility to his people. But in our modern day, we really don't have a word for humility either. I mean, I know I'm saying the word humility, but we don't really have that word. That's, that word's kind of lost on us, certainly on our culture. I mean, we have the word, but we really don't have the word. The world exalts pride. Your workplace exalts pride. The schools in which your kids find themselves exalts pride. Right? School pride, right? Rallies about pride. I'm not, I'm not saying we throw all that stuff. I'm just saying, listen, our culture promotes pride. Television promotes pride. TV shows promote pride. Presidential debates promote pride. They exalt pride. All of human existence post the fall in the garden has been marred with pride. All of it. Every ounce of it. Even Jesus himself was pressed in on by pride. Now he ultimately did not succumb to pride, but he still felt the pressure of pride. You could even say Jesus experienced pain as the result of pride. Even the very wrath of his father poured down on him was due us because of pride. People unashamedly claim to be proud of their jobs, their children, their accomplishments. This is what the world does. It parades around success. The rainbow flag, right? Pride. It's rooted in pride. And the thing is, we have to realize is that we're not immune to this. We're not immune to pride. Oftentimes the church reflects the very same values as this culture I've just been describing. I don't want to pigeonhole it here, but one of the ways that we deal with pride is we just call it a fancy term and we call it self-esteem. Right? We want to have a high self-esteem. We want our kids to have a high self-esteem. What are we saying? We just want people to think highly of themselves, right? That's what a high self-esteem is. Well, he just needs a higher self-esteem, or I just need to help build his self-esteem. But isn't that the opposite of humility? You're trying to teach them to think high of themselves. We're going to define humility, but this is quite the opposite of humility. Now, I know, I know, even as I say that, some, some of you might be welling up with maybe some anxiousness, maybe even a good bit of disagreement. I want my kids to have a high self. But 
I just want to ask you, just for a second, entertain that thought. Now I want you to scripturally support your view of building a high self-esteem in your child or yourself. Where's that at? I want you to think about that for a second. Because I think the scriptures teach us something quite the opposite. I think what you desire for your kids is probably like a good thing. It's just we have to separate. We have to get at it a different way. Them thinking highly of themselves is not the right way. As you're going to see as we look through this idea of pride and, and humility, that it is the very thing of esteeming ourselves that leads us far away from God. And if you want your child to be led far away from God, then by all means, teach them to have a high self-esteem. But my, here's my point. We have to be careful that we're not succumbing to pride in the, the body of Christ and just calling it something different. A lot of times we'll parade around another example. We'll parade around this, you know, a success and accomplishments and we'll do it and then what we'll do is we'll like talk about how all this has happened and then we'll just kind of tag it with the phrase well you know by God's grace by God's grace here's the question here's the point just because you tagged it with by God's grace or oh it was all God's doing doesn't mean that you weren't prideful in that moment that you weren't exalting self in that moment now, you may or may not have been. I'm, my point is, is, just because you say the right words on the outside doesn't mean that everything is clean and polished on the inside. So as we begin to think about church unity, something that's very dear to the Lord as church unity, we need to set this foundation right. Many churches go at this idea of unity in the body from different ways, oftentimes from very worldly perspectives. If we think about unity in the body, a lot of churches talk about, well, we've got to have a unifying vision statement. And, you know, we've got to have a, a unifying mission statement. Or we've got to have unifying t-shirts. Or, you know, we've got to have a, you know, name it, right? Name it. As Paul's getting ready to talk about unity, he does what? He reminds them of their calling to which they've been called. And then he, the very next step is he goes to humility. And this is very, very important that we think about these things. And we think about them with the kind of importance that Paul places on them. Yes, we need unity of vision. We just need to make sure it's the right vision. That the vision has the right ingredients, if you will. Last week we talked about the ingredient of walking in a manner worthy of the calling. Knowing this calling to which you've been called. This week, we're going to talk about the ingredient of humility, as humility is a necessary ingredient to church unity. That's really kind of my main point today, other than, I'm sorry, I'm going to have two really main points, but humility is a necessary ingredient to church unity. Now certainly, certainly this week, you think about humility as an ingredient to familial unity, to marital unity, to unity in the workplace. Maybe your workplace is a little bit of a tough place to be in because you're just prideful and you think it's everyone else. (coughs) 
So let's talk about, let's talk about humility. Let's define humility. Humility really is this. It's lowly thinking. The, the word here used for humility is lowly thinking. We're going to flesh this out as we go. The first thing I want to say is we think about lowly thinking. Lowly thinking particularly about ourselves. I want to argue that I don't think it can mean just simply to think lower of myself than any others. I think it's how we tend to pigeonhole humility. I don't, uh, it, it, but, but I want to think about this. If you look at like, the idea of the qualifications for elders, we think about the qualifications for elders. They're supposed to have these qualifications, but those are qualifications that, that really everyone should be living and following. So what, what's the difference? Well, the elders should be doing that in a, in a what? An exemplary way. They should be living out these qualifications in a, in a way that is exemplary. So I don't think, so, so, so like when an elder examines themselves, there has to be a, a sense of, is my life exemplary? And there has to, I think there has to be a way in which to do that that is not also prideful. I think that line there is really hard to find. But nevertheless, there's, there's got, so I don't think humility can just be going, when I look at everyone else, I think so low of myself that, that I'm going to, you know, everyone else is above me. I don't, I don't think that that's the picture. I don't think that that's the picture. I want you to look at two passages. So, so I don't think it can just be to think low of myself in comparison to these other people or to think low of myself, period, and it stops right there. There's more to humility than that. Let's look at two passages. Philippians 2, verse 3. We're going to look a little bit more at Philippians, but just for now, verse 3. He says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. All right, so Paul's right there. So there's an idea of pride. That idea of pride leads us to do things for selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, right? But in humility... Count others more significant than yourself. So there's this connection in humility to the counting of others as more significant, more valuable, more worth, like, more, more loving. Look at Ephesians 4.2, the passage, the very passage we're in. He says, with all humility and what? And gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Both of these passages seem to point to how I consider myself in relation to other people. But the idea is not just, well, I'm crap and they're awesome, right? It's different than that. And see, we, we take, we want to take scripture things and we want to we want to put them in this nice little tight box and, and so that, why? Just so that we can check it off and say, well, I don't fit that. So if I don't, you know, so if I could walk around and just think, well, I, I'm, I'm crap and they're awesome, then, you know, uh, someone should write that, write that Lego song, right? Everything is so awesome except for me, you know? Like, then that would be our humble song. That was terrible, I know. But I know it was a song before the Lego song, I think, right? Was it? Was it a Lego? Is it a Lego song? Oh, it's terrible. So whenever you're hearing that, you can be humble as long as you sing everything is so awesome except for me. 
But hear, hear me. The idea of gentleness, like if we want to understand humility, we think about and how we understand stuff in Scripture, we understand it within the context. Both of these passages are using humility in a sense of, of not this, well, I just need to think of me as here and everyone else is here as far as I just, I just can't do things and they're, they're awesome. But instead of a considering them above myself, something that would lead to a thinking of myself in relation to them that would lead to this patience or gentleness that would lead to counting others more significant than me. So you can see where, then, as, for example, as an elder, where I can, you can say, well, my life is exemplary amongst these people and still fulfill this idea of counting them as more significant than me. Counting them and, and doing that in such a way that would lead to love and patience. You see, the idea of gentleness or meekness, it's the same word, is this idea of not being overly impressed by one's self-importance. That's the idea of the significance, one's own self-importance. So I can still say, is my life exemplary amongst these people? Yes, but then can you still consider rightly one's self-importance or wrongly one's self-importance? Does that make sense? So keep, keep that thought. So I think humbleness has much more to do with this idea of considering yourself and the importance of others than just the idea that I am crap and they are awesome. Humbleness has much more to do with how you consider yourself in relation to other people and, of course, God. But it's not in a value. It's not, here's the deal. It's not in a... We, we like to relegate everything to works. What I mean by that is like uh, our doings. And then we want to compare our doings to other people's doings. And then we say, well, my doings make me better than this person's doings. Right? The reality is, is that it's a flat playing field. Why? Because we're all in Jesus Christ. So we're like this. And so then we're, we're called to then come alongside others and count them as more significant, more valuable than ourselves, more glorious than ourselves. Does that make sense? So it's, a, it's not a comparison of doings. That's why we tend to walk in pride so much because we just walk around comparing my doings versus this person's doings. When if we compared our identity versus this person's identity, we're the same in Jesus Christ. So humbleness, I think, is more of a view of oneself that would lead you to think of others as more significant than yourself. Humility means to view yourself in such a way that it would lead you to gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility means to view yourself in such a way that you would outdo the other person in honor, as Scripture commands us to do. Let me give you an example. You know what it's like to get frustrated with someone who doesn't act the way you want them to? Anybody here know that? 
Anybody? Yeah, if you have kids, certainly. Even if not, just adults to adults. <laughs> like, you're frustrated. Like, you're supposed to be living this way. Daggone it. Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you praying? Why aren't you thinking this way? Why aren't you walking around in kumbaya? I mean, what, why aren't you doing these things? Listen, it's likely that your anger is simply because you pridefully think that your doings are better than their doings. That you have that figured out. You're comparing doings. You're comparing the wrong thing. So, we can flesh that out more. We'll save that for house gathering this week. But, but just kind of two parts to this idea of humility. The first one is, the first part is, it refers, like the idea of humility refers to the quality of esteeming ourselves as small, as insignificant compared to them, to others around us. But at the same time, humility has to, excuse me, goodness, has to also recognize the power and ability of God. This is both and, because pride finds its root when it's being, when man, particularly Satan, is comparing himself to God and not recognizing who God is. And so the same thing for us. The word of humility refers to this esteeming ourselves as small, but at the same time recognizing the power and ability of God. And we're going we're gonna to kind of flesh all of that out as we work through today. So view yourself as small. View yourself as small, as insignificant. But God as big. And others as more significant than yourself. So humility here is the foundation, I believe, for these other characteristics that we're going to work through. Not today. We'll let Rusty do that next week. I'm going to give him like 10 verses and say, you just need to cover 10 verses so we can get through at some point. Now let's talk about humility again a little bit further. Humility is very elusive. It's very mysterious. If you focus on humility too much, it will likely turn into pride. The very opposite. So we should seek hard after humility, but never claim humility. As soon as you do, you've forfeited your humility. Only Jesus could rightfully claim humility. Think about Matthew 11, verse 29. Listen to these words. I love these words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am what? I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For I am gentle and I am humble. Listen, if Jesus, the exact imprint of the creator of the universe, who is the architect of our salvation, if he, Jesus, came to earth and walked in humility, then how much more are we to walk in humility? If Jesus could consider something more significant than himself, so we're going to get there to that passage in just a few minutes, then how much more should we walk in humility? Listen, the first sin was pride. Every sin after 
is also in some way an extension of pride. And if we're talking about getting to the root of sin that, that takes over our lives, we have to, at some point, you're going to have to address pride most of the time. There's going to be some kind of prideful element in there. You see, pride led Lucifer to exalt himself over God. Again, notice the thinking of himself in relation to God. He thought himself to be more glorious than God, to be more significant than God. I will rise above. I will exalt myself above God. I mean, consider what that kind of thing begins to do in a relationship where I'm counting myself as more significant than the other. Guys, Adam and Eve's first sin was pride. Trusting in their own understanding above God's. Again, notice the thinking of themselves in relation to God. They thought their own understanding to be more significant than God's. And so I have to ask the question, how often do we exalt ourselves over God? Think about this. Maybe if you struggle with control, you want things to go your way, not trusting God, trusting who? Yourself. Right? So you're trusting that I, my plan, my understanding, my ideals are better than God's. It's just pride. Counting my own view and my own assessment as more significant than God's. Kids, practically, this is what you do often to your parents. You lift up your own mind's ability to assess the situation and count it as more significant than your parents. It's just pride. And adults, we do this same thing to God. Sometimes this looks like it's just between God and I. Sometimes it looks like that way to authorities in our own life and other people in our own lives where we consider ourselves more significant than them. We do this sometimes when it comes to Scripture. God has revealed Himself in this way, and, and we think it, you know, us more significant that we, we don't need to do that. We, we have a better way this way. And here's what happens Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes what? Disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 21, verse 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. I mean, we, just, we need to come to grips with where does our pride, where is it going to lead us to? I mean, just look at our culture right now. Right? Look at all the stuff that's going on in our culture. Like, in many ways, the disgrace in our culture is just coming to the surface. Now one group doesn't see it as that way and the other group does and back and forth and there it goes. And, but what you're seeing, if you just step back, you see in our culture pride, 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 and what you see is disgrace coming after disgrace, after disgrace, after disgrace. And God says He is what? He is adamantly against pride. Think about Him and His judgment on Babylon in Jeremiah 50. 
It says, behold, verse 31 and 32 says, behold, I am against you, O proud one, declares the Lord God of hosts. For your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up. And I will kindle a fire in his cities and it will devour all that is around him. Our God is against pride. But I want to remind you, even at this moment, that we will always be in a battle with pride until Christ returns. We'll always be in a battle with pride. And I think it has a good bit to do with we will see him for as he is. I think at that point, there will be no question of significance. And I think right now, we see that, but with such veiled or to, you know, such clouded vision that it's easy for us to go, well, no, I'm more significant than that. I'm worthy of more glory than, than that. More on that in a few minutes. You know, we think about Jesus in Matthew 5, 5. He says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. Blessed are the meek. It's the same word for gentleness and very closely related to this idea of humility. I think what Jesus has in mind here is very much like Deuteronomy 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and what? Take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Jesus' thought here in Matthew 5 is of possessing or inheriting the new promised land. This new promised land that is to come. Paul's going to pick up on this later as an inheritance and but just as obedience and righteousness were the conditions of entering Canaan, so humble obedience to his teaching is the condition of entering the new land of God's kingdom. Now you think about, think about this. Those who are now oppressed and despised, so those who are the lowly of the land, who have nothing to call their own, like Israel prior to Canaan, those are the ones who will enter the inheritance of God's rule on earth. See how Jesus, Jesus comes? I mean, some of you, this, uh, this might go over, and that's okay. Some of you, uh, this, Jesus comes. He is the lowly one, the one without a place. Because he was the place. He's the one who inherits the earth as God's son. That's the lowly one. God was showing the same thing with Israel. He was painting this picture that these people who have nothing of significance on this earth because they have everything of significance in heaven, their creator, God. Jesus comes. There's nothing of significance here. He has everything of significance here. That's why we want, that's why our struggle is to find significance in all of this stuff around us when we have all the significance here. Yeah, at the same time, Matthew 5, 5 is ultimately 
this veiled statement about Christ. He is the meek one. He is the one who stands to inherit the earth. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. That, that God will, he will unite all things in Christ. That is why we must be in Christ. Not just redeemed by Christ, but in Christ. Then we shall inherit the earth because of his meekness and his gentleness. and We're in him. Because we will never be meek enough. We will never be humble enough to inherit the kingdom. But Jesus already was. And we are in Him. So as we think about, again, further thinking about this idea of humbleness, I think it's the most foundational Christian virtue that there is. Do you want to measure the depth of your walk with Christ? Do you want to measure the depth, the maturity of your walk with Christ? Consider how much of your day you live thinking lowly of yourself and highly of God. Think about that. Guys, we cannot, listen to me, we cannot even begin to please God without humility. Can't even begin to please him without humility. Just as Jesus could not have pleased God without humility. Philippians 2, verse 5. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay? Have this mind, it's yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, think about what he's saying here. He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Listen, he's in the form of God. Even though he's in the form of God, he did not count equality a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and in that form he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I mean, that's our Redeemer. He shows us humility. I mean, he's God. And he counts his fathers more significant, counts us in many ways as more significant than himself. You see, even, even a person cannot even become a Christian without some measure of humility. So those of you who call yourselves Christians, I want you to think about this with me. Are those of you who are unsure of your salvation, I want you to listen here for just a few moments. And for those of you parents who are seeking to lead your children to Christ, listen. <coughs> One must recognize himself as a sinner and worthy only of God's just condemnation. 
Hey, this is a, a getting at this idea of humility. So when we talk about leading our kids, we talk about leading your own self. It's just, uh, like, listen, I want you to look at this passage, Matthew 18, verse 2 through 3. It says this, And calling to him, this is Jesus, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, the disciples, and said this, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's what we do. We use this verse to give license to dumb down the gospel so we can feel good about real little kids getting saved. That's why we use, that's why we use this verse typically, at least in Southern Baptist churches. Jesus isn't giving a standard of intellectual understanding in order to be saved in this passage. Instead, he is giving a standard of lowliness to inherit the kingdom. Okay? It's not a standard of intellectual understanding for a child. It's a standard of, of lowliness. It's a standard of humility for entering the kingdom. And remember, during this time, children were very vulnerable, and people thought very little of them. So read on. Verse 4. Because see, we tend to stop at verse 3. But verse 4, he says, Whoever humbles himself like this child. Whoever humbles himself like this child. Whoever thinks lowly of himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying the way up is down. The way up to inherit the kingdom is down. The lowly. We want to lead our children to Christ. Let's help them to think lowly of themselves and to think highly of the Creator. Help them to think lowly of themselves and to think highly of the Creator. So parents, do you, does your child have a seed of humility? Now, I don't think we can paint, like draw a line of how much humility. I don't think scriptures do that. But does your child have the seed of humility? Do, do they consider God as more significant than themselves? One of the ways this looks is are they seeking to submit to God's Lordship? As a person, listen, if you don't know if you're a follower of Christ, if you don't know if you're in Christ, you're trying to think through that, I would encourage you to give up esteeming yourself and seeking to make yourself most significant. Instead, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself. Think of yourself as lowly. God is great. Jesus considered his father more significant than himself. And in humility, he comes to the earth to live the perfect life that you could not live, I could not live. And to die the death that you could not die and I could not die. With repentance and faith, you can be redeemed and in Christ today. So as we've kind of taken this kind of broad view of humility this morning, I... Like, the danger is for us to say, all right, now you have humility defined. Now go, right? Now go. Go be humble. Go be humble, right? What's going to happen? In your own strength, you're going to seek to be humble, and then when you look at your humility, you're going to, well, I, I've done my humility, and, and it was me, and then what's going to happen, right? Then you're going to end up with pride because you've become humble, right? It doesn't work that way, Right? then that wouldn't be kind of me or kind of God to send us on that kind of self-perpetuating cycle. I want to tell you this. 
our only protection against pride and our only source of humility is a proper view of God. That's the only way it's going to happen. It's a proper view of God. We're gonna, I'm not going to do this justice, but we're going to get at it. Listen, if you want to write down something here, John MacArthur, I like how he said here, pride is the sin of competing with God. Pride is the sin of competing with God. And humility is the virtue of submitting to His supreme glory. Let me say that again. Pride is the sin of competing with God. And humility is the virtue of submitting to His supreme glory. His pride at its very core is this. It's the sin of saying, I am more glorious than others, and ultimately, when doing so, I am more glorious than God. I am more supreme than God. Parents, when you see pride in your kids, understand what they're saying. They're not just being a three-year-old. They're being prideful. If you want them to see God as most glorious, then help them with their pride. Don't just call it, well, they're just being a three-year-old. Or they're just being a 10-year-old. Or that's just what their school does. Or that's just what they saw on TV. No. Go at it. Go at it. Guys, humility is the virtue of counting God as more glorious than you. Guys, some of us struggle with pride so badly because our view of God is so awfully small. When we look at God, he looks like a pathetic, weak thing. I can't even find a word to describe that kind of God, right? Pathetic, weak thing. There you go. That's the God that you worship. No wonder you worship yourself so much. I mean, if that was my God, I'd worship you too. And we have to understand pride comes in so many different ways. Abilities, possessions, education, social status, appearance, power, biblical knowledge, self-righteousness. But guys, humility is an, is an ingredient, an ingredient of all spiritual blessing. Listen, Proverbs 22 verse 4 says this, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Guys, you know, humility, you know what the reward of humility is? Riches and honor and life. What does Paul say in verse 11 of chapter 1 of Ephesians? In Him, so in Christ, as we are in Christ, not of our own doing because of God's doing to bring us into Christ, we have obtained what? An inheritance. Riches and honor and life. Every sin has its root in pride, and every virtue, therefore, has its roots in humility. I hope you begin to see how being in Christ is so valuable as our Savior comes and has His roots in humility. The very act of His saving and redeeming work on this earth finds its roots in His humility. That we would be in Christ. And in Christ we have our roots in humility. 
Guys, pride is behind every conflict we have with other people and with the Lord. Humility is behind every harmonious relationship and every spiritual success and every moment of joyous fellowship with the Lord. Just look. Look at any relationship that you're struggling in. It's probably, your struggle is probably rooted in pride. And it's probably yours. You see, humility allows us to see ourselves as we are because it shows us before God as He is. Let me say that again. Humility allows us to see ourselves as we are, to see ourselves realistically, to see ourselves with clarity, to see ourselves accurately because it shows us before God as He is. So as, our, as we see Him more clearly, as we see Him more accurately, we see ourselves more clearly, We see ourselves more accurately. You won't see yourself for who you really are until you see yourself before God for who He really is. Again, you see, humility is not just thinking about yourself as a piece of crap. You see, and that's when we think about our kids and building self-esteem. Like, we we just equate humility with, well, I just don't want my kid to think of himself as a piece of crap. Well, look, I, God doesn't want him to think of himself that way either. It's just building his self-esteem is not the fix. Building your self-esteem is not the fix. Humility is about seeing the Christ in you who is the glorious exact imprint of the glorious Father. That's what humility is about. It's about seeing Christ. It's about esteeming Christ. And so the first thing I would say is this. Humility involves Christ awareness. It involves Christ awareness. Now here I'm talking specifically about the humanity of Christ. The humanity of Christ. You see Christ and His humanity. You want to be humble? Learn the humanity of Christ. Learn who Jesus was. Ask God to reveal the human man named Jesus. Because he is the only standard by which righteousness can be judged and by which pleasing God can be judged. We see Jesus in his human perfection, perfect humility, perfect submission to the Father, perfect love, perfect compassion, perfect wisdom, Perfect glorying in the Father. Look how Peter responded when he thought of himself in light of Christ in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Let me ask you how do you think of yourself when you think of Christ? How do you think of yourself when you think of Christ? Oh, awesome. You know what? I'm doing pretty good. I'm with Jesus. Jesus, why would you? Why would you turn your face and love towards me? Why would you do that? Thank you. And then from that position, be lifted high. 
from that position. Be exalted in Jesus. This past week, and it's a side note, this might make us run a long time over, but uh, I'm reading this book by Sinclair Ferguson, just awesome, and I was just reminded this past week of thinking specifically when when, when God, did God love us because Jesus died for us? And I think that's how we oftentimes to think about it. That God loves us because Jesus cleaned us up. No, God loved us when we were sinners. Right? And because of that love, then he sends Jesus to clean us up. Right? That's a, that's a totally different perspective. So we need Christ. Awareness. Humility also involves God, awareness. I'm thinking about the divinity of Jesus here. The divinity of Christ. In Colossians, you know, we, we see in Christ the exact image of the Father, the exact representation of the Father. You see in Christ His authority to heal diseases. You see His authority to cast out demons. You see Jesus' authority to forgive sins. I want to read to you. We think about God awareness. You know, read a lot of the Psalms. Psalms will help you with God awareness. But here's something from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, listen to these words, sitting Upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Enough yet? Enough to cause you to count him more significant than yourself? He's not done. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Why? And with two, he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Listen to these words. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said this, Woe is me. For I am lost, right? Lowliness. Lowliness. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what's going on? He sees glory. He sees glory. He is more significant than me. I am lost and a man of unclean lips. I think we see here, and I see Jesus face to face. The idea of humility, it will be everlasting. Job looked upon God in Job 42, verse 6, said, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, guys, we need to be careful of what we glory in. The more we glory in our success each day, the more we glory in our control each day or in our power each day, 
the more we glory in our providential working, the more we glory in our securing of comfort and ease, the more we glory in our provision. And again, just because you tag it with by God's grace doesn't make you humble. But the more we do these things, the greater the barrier they become to our communion with God. I'll give you another quote from John MacArthur. He says this, Every person who comes before the Lord with nothing, er, I'm sorry, every person comes before the Lord with nothing to commend him and everything to condemn him. We come before the Lord with nothing to say, I am anything but lowly. Luke 18, verse 13 through 14, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a what? A sinner. Someone who's lowly. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, can you think about this with our kids? Teach them to exalt themselves? What will you do? You teach them to walk away from God unjustified. You teach them to exalt God. And so be exalted in the end. The third thing humility involves is proper self-awareness. We've been kind of implying this all along. Proper self-awareness, a proper Christ-awareness, proper God-awareness, proper self-awareness. I think pretty much almost everyone in this room has Facebook, except for a couple of you. But you'll still get this point. It begins with a non-Facebook view of yourself. Ever thought about that? Like, I mean, who puts up the pictures about their, how terrible of a sinner they are and how lowly in spirit they are, right? No, you put up the best pictures, right? Think about the picture Sarah and I put up this past week of Mr. Henry. Some of you saw that picture. It's the, like the best picture we've got of him, right? The, the best picture of Henry, uh, at least so far. And uh, it's awesome. But that's what we do. That's what we do. We don't do that with just Facebook, though. We don't just put up our best pictures of ourselves and our families and our stuff on Facebook. That's all we do all day long, every day. We do that with our coworkers. We do that with our family. It's just harder with our family because they see you when you're caught off guard. Right? They see you when you let your guard down and, and who you really are, the proof of your lowliness comes out. But think about this. What perception of yourself are you fighting ruthlessly for other people to hold of you? Oh, this person's well put together. This person has lots of wealth. This person is physically attractive. I'm a person who never sins or struggles like anyone else does. Like what, what's the perception that you're trying to build for those people around you? But Christian, listen to me. This is, this is so simple, but yet so profound. Do you know what perspective you should be 
should naturally be coming out of who you are for other people to see. That you are in Christ. That you are someone in Christ. With all your failures, with all your imperfections, with all of God's successes, with all of his sanctification in your life, that you are someone who's in Christ. That when, when time is tough, when struggles are hard, where do you turn? I turn to Christ. Build that perception. That, that, that when you find that you have failed, that you don't turn to be a defensive lawyer. Instead, you turn and say, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, I messed up. And I'm in Christ. And I can own that because I'm in Christ. You know, a sure mark of true humility is to see oneself in sin. A sure mark of true humility is to see oneself in sin. 1 John 1, 8-9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we, get, we want to get out of humility. We need to be honest with our sin. You know, we often don't talk about our sin because we think it's something we need to hide or something we need to be embarrassed about. Well, certainly it is shameful and certainly is there is guilt there to be dealt with, but God's covenantal relationship with us is not go run and hide in your sin. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. But it is instead come to me. Let me be your redeemer and your salvation. So when we as a church, when we deal with sin as individuals and, and even as a church, like it's not let's go run and hide. No, it's let's go run and be embraced by the Father, by the Son. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. What's Paul doing? Paul is talking about his lowliness. That I am a sinner. I am of the foremost of sinners. We need to own our sin and not be afraid to talk about it. And we shouldn't do it flippantly. We shouldn't talk about sin as if, oh, I just got the sin and I just need to deal with it. No. There's a seriousness to it. But, but we can talk about it. We should talk about it regularly. But then second, a sure mark of true humility is not measuring yourself against others and in doing so, seeking to exalt yourself. So a sure mark of humility is not measuring yourself against others, seeking to think highly of yourself. You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12? Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are what? Without understanding. Because when we compare ourselves to others, we are left without understanding. You all realize that our tendency is to exaggerate our qualities and minimize the qualities of others? Like, that's just naturally what we do. Well, I got this down, and clearly they don't. 
But humility allows us to put aside the very unrealistic views of ourselves and to embrace God's view of us. And then third is this. And last one is this. A sure mark of true humility is to see oneself in Christ. A true mark of a sure mark of true humility is to see oneself in Christ. Second Corinthians three, verse five through six. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Let me think about what he's saying. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Ephesians 3, verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promised, where? In Christ Jesus, through the gospel. I want you to go back this week. If you did renovate us, you probably did this already. But go back this week and look through Ephesians to see what it means to be in Christ. Paul, over a hundred times in the New Testament, talks about being in Christ. Did you see what we do often? Something I'm working through in my own heart is that we like to separate the benefits of Christ from being in Christ. The benefits of Christ, meaning justification, sanctifications, we like to separate that from being in Christ. And I think that's part of our problem when we struggle with pride. Think about it. We want to be humble. Do you, we want to inherit the kingdom. We want to see unity in the body of Christ. Do you want to have joy instead of flittering, feel-good moments in your own fleeting success? Do you want to have more than that? I would say to you, see yourself in Christ. You see, here's the deal. If you just see yourself as someone justified, someone sanctified, and you've got kind of these benefits of Christ over here, and then Christ is over here, then I think the danger is that you would begin to see yourself as glorious. I'm walking justified. I'm sanctified. But someone who sees himself as justified and progressively sanctified and that's happening because you are in Christ. What does that do to your vision? What does that do to your heart? What does that do when you're thinking about who is more significant than me? Who is more glorious than me? When we compare ourselves to Christ, we're not worthy of esteeming whatsoever. But Christ is worthy of all esteem, of all exaltation. You see, but someone who sees themselves in Christ and knows this Christ sees the glorious Savior, right? Exalted, high, seated at the right hand of God, all things being united in Him, all things pointing ultimately to His supremacy. And when you see that, and you understand your lowliness apart from that, It's in that that you and I are exalted high. As Paul talks about, it's in Christ that we are then seated with him in the heavenly places. 
So do you want your kids, do you want yourself, do you want your family, do you want your friends to, to have a right view of self? It's not to esteem ourselves. It's not to think high of ourselves. It's to think lowly of ourselves and high of God and let Him be the one to exalt us. Amen? Let Him be the one to raise us up. Let Him be the one to raise your child up. Let Him be the one to raise your spouse up. Don't point anyone to to have pride or self-esteeming. Point them to esteem God. He will lift them up. And He will lift you up. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Father, thank You that we can give up the battle and the fight of trying to think highly of ourselves. I don't know about anyone else, but it wears me out. It just doggone makes me tired trying to fight to secure people's perceptions of me that I want them to have. It makes me tired. And it steals my joy. It robs me of comfort and rest. Well, I know that I am lowly. I know that you are infinitely more significant to me than me. Please help my heart and life to live congruently to that. Father, help us to live like that. There's so much of ourselves that wants to lift ourselves up. I want to, want to be successful. I, I want to have at least a little bit of the, of the glory. I want to have at least a little bit of the, of the, of the, of the prize. No. No, 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 no. Father, let, our, let us cast ourselves at your feet as lowly and humble and trust you to lift ourselves. Father, we, we don't, that's, the, that's our problem. That's our problem, Father. We don't trust you to exalt us. We don't trust you to lift us high and seat us in the heavenly places next to your son, Jesus. We don't trust you to do that. We want to do that ourselves. Let us trust you that you love us, that we might then cast ourselves as lowly at your feet, and that you would lift us high, just as you did your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.